Okay, do you have a Bible tonight? Hope you do. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 7, and we'll look at another couple of verses tonight. And uh, I want to set this up by saying God is a God of truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, and the next thing he says is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And uh, his word is truth. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed and said, Sanctify them by your word, and your word is truth. And so uh, all of this tells us about God. He loves truth, and he hates lies. He hates falsehood. He doesn't like it when he is misrepresented. You know, there's so many people that say things like, Well, I just can't conceive of a God who would send anybody to hell. Well, that's a false idea about God. There was someone, there was um, a campaign I read about. Um, they said that basically women should be free to have abortions at any time in their pregnancy to terminate that pregnancy, really to murder a baby, because thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And to put the two of those things together is just bearing false witness against God. And this world does it all the time, and a lot of people believe it. You don't have to be in a cult, that could help, but it, you don't have to be in a cult to hear people bear false witness against the Lord. But the Lord also hates it when people bear false witness just in general, in any situation. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? You not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so whatever it is that David is going through, we find out in these verses tonight that his enemies are bearing false witness against him. That's something that God hates, and we should hate it as well. Sadly, though, most people don't really think that much of it until it comes against them. I uh, think about people that would dare run for a political office nowadays because you're going to have all kinds of lies told about you. You're going to have distortions about things that are true and it's all going to be about bearing false witness. And bearing false witness, these false accusations, is uh, especially seen in a court of law when somebody would perjure themselves by lying under oath about somebody or something that they are testifying to. And that's happening to David. There are people that are saying things about him that are not true. And David is so incensed by these things that as he prays to the Lord, he basically said, if there's, if there's any truth in what they say, kill me. That, that's kind of a big lie detector thing right there. If you're willing to die for something, people don't die for lies, do they? Or knowingly die for lies. Let's look at this. Psalm 7, 3 through 5. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth, and may my honor lie in the dust, and, and lay my honor in the dust. And then we'll stop there because he says, stop here, Selah. 
That's something uh, to think about. Have you ever seen somebody who was accused of something and they denied it and you could tell by the way they answered it that they were lying? That it was true, the accusation was true, and they were lying when they deny it. Again, we're in a political season, just a few days literally from the midterm elections. Please pray, please vote in all of that. We need good people, moral people that will stand for the right things in our government. And it's important that we be involved in all of that. But have you watched any debates or anything like that where somebody is accused of something that uh, there's a video clip of them saying they were for late-term abortions but in the debate they tried to deny it and you can almost tell by the way that they're looking and you can tell by their reaction well this is not really true there's something wrong with their answer here well David is doing just the opposite he's saying I am innocent of these charges I'm innocent of the accusations that are coming from my enemies and we saw what some of them were when we read the text things that they are saying about David that are certainly not true and David as he talks about this he makes his defense before the Lord and that's very difficult to do because the Lord knows the truth in every situation you're not going to lie to the Lord you're not going to uh, make a defense to the Lord that he maybe will be snookered by you or something he's laying it all out there and then he says and if the things they are saying are true about me then take away your hedge of protection would you dare pray anything like that to go before the Lord and say these are some things that I've been accused of you and I both know they're not true and if they are true take away all of your protection from me let the enemy overtake me to the point even that your discipline results in my death that's pretty bold praying generally guilty people don't pray like that now they may say to you I promise it didn't happen. I'd swear on a stack of Bibles. Okay? They may say, I would swear on my mother's grave. You may have heard somebody say something like that. I swear on my life or on my children or some, something like that. Okay? Now, David's not doing this in front of people. He's not putting on a show. He is doing this in front of God. And so what I would dare you to do if you say, yeah, I, I think I would do that. Okay, I dare you to do it sometime. And go before the Lord and say, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And if the things that are said about me are true, then punish me to the point of death. That's kind of scary to think about. And yet that's what David did. David is in a bad situation. We don't know exactly what it was. We do know what some of the accusations were against him from his enemies now. But uh, we saw last week that he is in a very desperate spot. And this is a very emotional plea that he is making before the Lord. And so uh, we feel for him in that situation. Because all of us probably have felt the sting of a false accusation. Now it may have been an out and out lie by a, an enemy somebody that we worked with somebody that maybe is in the neighborhood or something and they say something about us that just is not true that seems to be where David was but it doesn't have to land there it can be innuendos and slander falsehood 
In fact, think about how many times people make accusations about other people through gossip or slander or half-truths or innuendos or they just kind of leave an impression about somebody. And you better be careful about that because, number one, the Lord hates it. And number two, it makes you a tool of the devil. In fact, one of the titles of the devil himself is he is the accuser of the brethren. Do you want that title? Well, that's what happens when you accuse, when you slander, when you gossip. You're looking like the devil. You are taking on one of his titles as an accuser of the brethren. Now, the Bible is, of course, very clear about this. In Psalm, uh, uh, pardon me, Proverbs 19, I forget the verse, it uh, says that God hates false witnesses and that they won't go unpunished. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, you shall not bear a false report and do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. And so that's a sin. It's a sin that we don't think much of. We say, oh, they were just angry. They were just having a bad day. Oh, that's just the way politics is. And politics takes on a lot of different forms. Of course, we think about the White House and Congress. And we think about those type of things. Governors and state legislatures and mayors and city councilmen and those type of things. But have you ever heard of office politics? That's some of the most ruthless brutal and uh, bitter type of politics that can ever take place. And people will say things to cause a co-worker or maybe you to fall out of favor with the powers that be or with the boss because they want the same, uh, they want that place that you occupy or they think you're going to occupy. In fact, that's kind of what was going on behind the scenes in uh, the book of Daniel chapter 6 when these people were jealous of Daniel because there were only three governors out of the whole Persian empire and Daniel was one of those governors. So there he is in the top, I guess we would say four in the nation counting the king and the king was getting ready to put Daniel over the governors. Well, these guys couldn't stand that and you remember what they said later on that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, they never really liked him. He was never really one of them. And they were willing to set everything up to say that somehow Daniel's religion and Daniel's prayers were a threat to the king, his rule, his reign, and his sovereignty. And it wasn't, of course. In fact, Daniel says when the king comes to check on him, as you're going to study Sunday morning, he says, The Lord sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth because I'm blameless before God and I'm blameless before the king. In other words, everything that was said about him was a false accusation. It was rumor. It was innuendo. It was designed to taint and to destroy Daniel in order to build other people up. And by the way, really the only reason you would tear someone else down is because you think it gives you a better standing. It makes you look smarter, stronger, more powerful. It, pay, it gives you a, a higher value in the eyes of somebody else. And that's the way the world operates. The world thinks that the only way they can have success is for you to fail. The only way that they can 
be promoted is to have you demoted. It's the way the world works. We call it the politics of personal destruction. So David is going through this. And as he is going through this, he is thinking like this. If these people go unchecked, and if nothing stops them, then I lose all of my stature, I lose my respect, I lose my credibility. And depending on when this was written, maybe this is written when he was running from Saul, and this is what everybody said in Saul's camp about David to try to turn the people against him, because you remember that uh, Saul uh, brings David into the kingdom, gives him his daughter to uh, marry him after he kills Goliath. And then David is one of his warriors. And you remember the hit, uh, you know, the Israeli top 40, the songs were, Saul has slain his thousands. Well, that sounded pretty good. Saul's hearing his song on the radio. And then he, they had to add this, but David, his tens of thousands. And Saul turns on David. And uh, can you imagine, as David is running for his life, it wouldn't look very good for uh, the king to be chasing after this popular warrior patriot son-in-law who had killed Goliath unless they spread rumors and innuendos about him that make it more plausible for Saul to do this. It could have been a later, later on when David is trying to get all of the 12 tribes of Israel together. When David was first crowned king, he was ruling in Hebron and he was only ruling over his own tribe, the tribe of Judah. Well, before he takes the throne in Jerusalem, they have to get all of the other tribes to uh, give assent to David's rule and David's reign. And that's not easy to do. These tribes were really a group of families large families by this point. They had their own lands. They had their own economy. They worked together and had a, a loose organization of how they would relate to each other. But they also would fight with each other as well. And so to get one person to be the king over all of those tribes, not always an easy thing to do. Kind of like how many prime ministers have they had in England just recently because it's hard to keep those coalitions together. Well, Maybe while they were trying to do that, maybe some of the tribes were putting out things about David that weren't true to try to keep him from becoming the uh, sole monarch over Israel. Maybe it was the kind of thing to where he had all the tribes together, but uh, now the enemies of the nation of Israel are trying to undermine David and thus undermine the government and the military and everything that's going on in the nation because they're getting ready to attack. Many times back in these days before someone would attack, they would spread false news, fake news, President Trump would have called it, to uh, try to undermine and try to destroy the unity of the nation and try to make people doubt and question who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, and they would take advantage of that. Who knows? Maybe it was later on after that. We don't know, but it was happening and it was destructive and it was bad for David, it was bad for the nation and God, David, is calling upon him to intervene in this situation and saying, prove to people that I'm not what they think I am or what they say that I am because you know me and you know my integrity. So think of it in these terms. Number one, 
David's accusers charged him with evil. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this. What is he talking about there? The charges that he's laying out that are coming on after this. And notice that statement. If I have done this, uh, the Lord knows. And David knows that the Lord knows. And so this is actually a denial of it. And he is also admitting by saying, if I have done this, he is not saying that, you know, oh Lord, you know that I would never ever sin against you. I mean, we know that's not true, right? And we know enough about the life of David. And by the way, that's one of the things that makes the Bible such a special book and a book of integrity because it exposes the faults of its heroes. If man had written this, if David had written the Bible or somebody else, well, they wouldn't include all that ugly stuff about Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, would they? But yet it's in there because the Word of God tells the truth. And so you and I both know, and the Lord knows, and also, importantly, David knows, he can't come before God and simply say, you know that I am completely, completely perfect in everything that I do. But he is saying, in this case, I am. In this case, you know that I am blameless before you and before everyone else. This is nothing but lies. It makes me think about Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. It says uh, at his trial, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Many bore false witnesses against him. You remember all the things they said about Jesus? He was overturning the law of Moses. He was wanting to destroy the temple. And all of those kind of things that were coming up. He was an illegitimate child of uh, Mary who, had, who was a prostitute. It was the implication. All of those kind of things coming up. And all of the things that he said. And their testimonies did not agree. So they couldn't use it. Because the law of Moses says that if you make an accusation. You've got to have a couple of witnesses at least. Well, they couldn't all agree, and so they're going to accuse Jesus of breaking the law when they can't even use their false witnesses. Their stories don't match up, so the law would condemn what they were doing, and they were thrown out of court in that situation. So they had to take a, a different avenue, and that was the thing about uh, if you let him go, then you are no friend of Caesar's and all of that kind of stuff, like they cared. They hated Caesar. So uh, consider Stephen. That deacon who was the first martyr. And in Acts chapter 6 verses 10 through 14 it says. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he, Stephen, spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses. There we go again. And they said, who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Anybody ever told a lie about you? Anybody ever 
took half of what you said and made it into the whole thing. A half truth is a whole lie. Left an innuendo, left an impression about you. Has anybody actively worked against you? Has anybody tried to destroy you? Well, for those of us who have been in that situation, it is not pleasant. But let me say, we're in good company. Because that's what they did to people like Stephen. That's what they did to people like David. And that's even what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this world, this world that is filled with uh, devils, as Martin Luther said, we must not forget that the devil is the father of lies. So there are going to be those type of things that come against churches. There are going to be those things that come against Christians. There are going to be those things that are going to come against you. And that's probably going to get worse as time goes on. And social media, by the way, does not help our cause or case of innocence at all. You can get on social media and say anything you want and it goes around the world. David would identify, David would agree, David would say, man, that is rough, I've been there and I know what you're going through. Number two, we find in the next section here that David protests his innocence. Now, not his sinlessness, there's a difference between being innocent in a situation and being sinless. David is not setting him up as a paragon of virtue and that type of thing. But he is saying, in this particular case, I am guilt-free on this. And uh, he says, if there is iniquity in my hands. Now, we all know we have hearts that tend to stray. The hymn writer said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We know what the Bible says about the heart and the wickedness of the heart. And so David is not coming up to the Lord and saying, you know, uh, there's absolutely no possibility that I could ever in a million years do anything like this because he's going to do something far worse than uh, what they charged him with here. The murder of Uriah the Hittite that's capital punishment there. That's why in Psalm 51, David said, Deliver me from blood guiltiness. You know what he was saying there? Don't execute me, Lord. And uh, even though here in this psalm, he asked for that, If I've done this, go ahead and execute me. And then when he actually does something, David's kind of like all of us. Really big on law and order and carrying out the death penalty until he's worthy of it. Then he prays for mercy, doesn't he? And uh, notice he's not making a plea for mercy in this particular session, uh, section of the Word of God. This particular section of the psalm. He doesn't cry for mercy because David is making his case and his plea for innocence in here because he actually is innocent in this particular case I did not do this is what he is actually saying and he said there's no blood on my hands there's nothing dirty on my hands there's nothing in there my fingerprints are not on this crime my DNA is not on this crime I wasn't even involved in any of this stuff is kind of what he would say in a modern way and so David knew that his heart was evil, but he also knew that his hands were clean in this situation. In Psalm 139, 23, that's why he said, Search me, O God, and know my, not my hands, not check my hands, but know my heart. So David understood the thing about the heart, but he's saying, In this, 
I have not put my hands to any of these charges or anything that is evil or wicked or anything they're trying to say. This is all slander. This is all gossip. This is all trying to destroy me. Number three, David now exposes the enemy's accusations. Um, sometimes when somebody says, well, you got to watch out. You got to watch out for that David. Got to watch out for that David. Okay, what should you ask at that particular point? You probably should say, what do you mean and in what way? Because people like to speak in these vague innuendos. Okay, well, you know, there's just some things. You know, his hands aren't particularly clean in all of this without really telling you what's going on. I've counseled people where they said, I've got problems with this other person. Okay, what's the problem? Well, uh, we're just not really on the same page. Well, well, is that a crime? Is that a sin? I mean, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but I don't know what it means specifically. I don't know why it would cause a problem. We're kind of all on different pages at one time or another, aren't we? And some are on the right page and some are on the wrong page, frankly. And uh, so what do you have to do? In order to really deal with something, you've got to get specific. And so these people <clears throat> that make these accusations against David... Well, David just spills them out before the Lord. It's not just a thing to where, you know, sometimes we talk to the Lord in these real vague and broad things. Oh, Lord, uh, bless everybody in the world. Amen. And then, you know, we're done with our prayer time. And uh, I got a feeling that's not a very effective prayer. Um, if you mean it, then I appreciate that, but probably ought to be a little more specific than that. And uh, David gets specific here about what the problem is. Not that the Lord doesn't know. The Lord knows. Of course he knows. But David is putting it out here. He said, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me. Okay, here's a person that has nothing against me. And what do I do? I destroy them. I attack them. I plunder them. Maybe we're talking about another king. We were at peace, and uh, then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes David and his armies, and they attack, like Nebuchadnezzar did to Jerusalem uh, later on. Uh, David says, if there's anything like that that I've done, this person is at peace with me, and I destroyed them. Uh, I could see that would be easy for a king to do. Someone comes to you, and they say, oh, king, live forever, like Daniel again like they did against him you do know that person is working against you you do know that person uh, is doing things that you wouldn't agree with and so maybe David banished them uh, exiled them maybe he put them in prison maybe I mean that kind of thing could happen with a king they had absolute authority back in those days but David doesn't have any knowledge of it and David is saying before the Lord as far as I know, I haven't done anything like that at all. And yet that's what his enemies are saying. That he is repaying evil to those that he was at peace with. I wonder what the situation was. You can think of a lot of things where it could happen. But we don't know absolutely at this point. And then he says, or have plundered my enemy without cause. Okay, maybe uh, there have been some times when David, he was a warrior. 
And that's the reason that God didn't let him build the temple and said, save it for Solomon, he'll be a man of peace because you've got blood on your hands. And so, uh, you know, you just uh, leave it, leave it for your son. And so David went to work raising the funds and gathering the materials for the temple that Solomon was going to build. David was a man of war. He was a fighter. Well, could it be and would it be hard to believe that David at one point just took somebody out so that he could have the treasure of their kingdom? I mean, kings did that in those days. I mean, again, going back to what Nebuchadnezzar did. He plundered Jerusalem and he took the best of the people and he also took the treasures that they had. Even the gold and silver treasures that were in the temple dedicated to the use of God. It was not uncommon for kings to plunder their enemies. Put them in their place. Make sure that they're poor. Make sure they can't raise an army. Make sure that they can't pay mercenaries to fight against them. Keep them poor. Keep them humble. Keep them uh, in a place where they won't do that. But David says that's one of the charges that he is innocent of. He said, I don't just go and attack people and plunder enemies without charge, without cause. He would respond or whatever, but uh, this is not the case in here. So he's falsely accused here in a way that could ruin him, falsely accused in a way that would stay in people's minds. So that's one of the things about false accusations. It sticks in people's minds. You can't delete the text that you've already sent in most cases. You can't unsend the email. You can't get the letter out of the mailbox that you dropped in there, right? Uh, sometimes maybe you've even said something to somebody and, oh, I wish I could take those words back. Well, you can't. You hope that there'll be a forgiving person, but uh, memory, boy, it, it can pull those things up in a hurry. And uh, these false accusations, they don't have to be true because most of the time people won't really check them out. Most of the time people in the kingdom or wherever they are are not going to look back and say, you know, I remember that time when David did that. I, I, I remember that now. In fact, David did that to me or he did that to my father or grandfather or something like that. Uh, that's the kind of thing that just as long as it sticks in their mind, I had someone say to me about another preacher, he goes, you know, there's, a, there's something about him. There's, I can't remember what it was, but there's something about him. Okay, there again, it's vague. There's an innuendo of scandal or slander or something like that. And uh, yet there's nothing really concrete. And I'll remind you again, one of the ways you know that the conviction you're feeling is from the Holy Spirit or not, is think about this. The Holy Spirit will be specific. He doesn't just say, something's wrong. Can you imagine if he played that game? Oh, Lord, I want to be right with you. You're getting warmer. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a trip? Then you do something else. Now you're getting cold. You're getting really cold. You're getting very cold. Go back the other way, then you're getting warmer. He doesn't play those games. In fact, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, I mean, He nails you on it specifically for what you have done, right? One of the things, too, about the Holy Spirit, 
He doesn't bring up the past. If it's under the blood, he's not the one that's going to be bringing it up. Okay, you know what you did 30 years ago. I haven't forgotten, and no one else has either. Boy, you know, and, and constantly bringing it up. That's not the Holy Spirit that does that. But when the enemy brings accusation against you, they like to do the things that kind of, uh, you should feel guilty because you know you're not everything that God wants you to be. Well, Fox News alert, right? We're not everything we ought to be. Isn't that right? We know that. And so that's something they can always come up. And then they'll be vague and general. They'll bring it up from the past. Things that you've confessed. Things that you have made right. Things that you have, I don't know, you've uh, uh, gone back and paid back somebody or you've fixed it or however you've done it and it's been gone for a long time. But oh, they'll never let you forget it. It's interesting how the enemy will come along and they'll tempt you to sin by saying, no one will ever know. And it's just a little thing. You can do it and forget about it and just move on. And then after you do it, then they say, everybody's going to know about this and you'll never get away from this. And and then they bring it up constantly over and over and over. You can See the difference that goes on. And a lot of times what the enemy does is to use you, to use me, and to use our friends, and to even use our enemies to just kind of put out the fact that something might be true because they can't unhear it and they can't forget it. And David is talking here about people who are just spreading these things and it doesn't have to be true. They don't care if it's true. All they want to do is plant the seed of doubt in your mind about somebody. That's the work of the enemy and that's why we don't want to participate in that by being a slanderer or by being a gossip or trying to accuse others or trying to destroy others or falsely accusing others other people so he's falsely accused in a way that could ruin him falsely accused in a way that would stay in people's minds and falsely accused in a way that would just raise up a little bit of doubt who wants to follow somebody into battle that you don't really believe in. You're not sure that they have integrity. You don't really know if they know what they're doing or if they're honest or honorable in um, what they are doing and what they're leading you into. And so um, from this proceeds just the general idea of the slanderous charges being brought against the character of David. He was being falsely accused of stealing from innocent people. And uh, this is the kind of thing that they want everyone to think about David. This is, uh, what will we call this? Uh, uh, oh, oh, the Russians do this, don't they? Isn't that what we hear on TV? This says all the things, all the marks of, of uh, Russian disinformation. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. 
And uh, that was a quote that I just read by uh, Dr. Stephen Lawson. And so just plant the seed. Just put the innuendo. Just breathe it out. This is how dangerous it, dangerous it is. This is why God hates this. He's a God of truth and he sees the damage it does to innocent people. He sees how sometimes people get hurt and branded by these things and they never get out of it because people just can't forget and they don't bother to find out the facts. This is why it should never go on in a church. This is why it should never go on in your family. This is why you've got to be careful not to let your ears become garbage cans about everyone else because sometimes it's just none of your business and other times it's just not true and the enemy's trying to destroy them in your eyes. Don't don't play their game. And then number four, notice David calls for justice. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning, we generally have this thing as humans where we want justice for everybody else, but mercy for us. Justice for you, mercy for me. Justice for you, mercy for me. Okay? We kind of play that game. Well, David would do that later on. But at this point, notice what he says. He says, um, I want you to discipline me to the point of death. Discipline me if I'm guilty. If any of this is true, then Lord, don't let anything hold you back. Let it be clear. Now at this point, what David is really saying is, let the truth come out. And if I'm guilty, let it be seen by killing me. Put me down into the dust. And if not... Let it be clear, if all of this were true, God would have done something and uh, God is not doing it. And so David walks in integrity and he walks in truth because this is not true about him. Verse 5, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. Think about that. That's the kind of thing that only an innocent man would say before God. And so this shows the depth of his plea of innocence. It's not just a thing that his lawyer told him that he has to say. It's not just for publicity. It's not just because it looks good and sounds good politically. Because he's not saying this to a big group of people. He's saying this to the Lord. That's a dangerous thing to do. And this also shows his desire for truth and justice. I want truth to come out and justice to be done. Why would he say that? Well, he has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do, and there it is, justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God, Micah 6, 8. The Lord loves justice, the Bible says. And so David is appealing to that. Let's settle this thing. This is something that is going to be a big, big problem for me as the king of your people. So let's settle it now. Kill me or vindicate me. One thing or the other. There was no middle ground on all of this. And that's how strong his desire for justice was. And so he invites the discipline of God even to the point of death. In fact, he makes a statement, lay my honor in the dust. And what David is saying there is, kill me 
and let it be so that no one ever speaks my name again. Well, we know that's not true because David is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ancestor. He's the standard for all kings. He is uh, all, all through the book of First and Second Kings. You find people compared either to a bad guy that was the king in Israel or a good guy that was king in Judah. Who was that? David. David is the standard. David still is just revered. And we think of him as a hero and a wonderful person. Well, David is saying, if I'm guilty of any of this, then settle it. Let justice fall on me, let your discipline kill me, and lay my honor, my reputation, my dynasty, all of the things people would say about me in history. Let it all die and let it be buried there. Let David be somebody that is forgotten. Let his name be a byword. Let him be like, um, well, when you think about great presidents, does... uh, Richard Nixon, is he top of your list? Now, some of the things we know and think about him may or may not be true. He had a lot of people against him. But the damage was already done, wasn't it? Think about how easy it is to try to build up a reputation, to try to build up a testimony, we might say. It takes you years and years of work and ministry and service, and kindness, and dealing with problems and issues in a godly way. And so you can live and serve the Lord for 40 years. And here you are well thought of. How long does it take to destroy that 40-year testimony? Not very long. Not very long. And so this is why we have to be careful in the way that we live, of course. This is why we have to be wise in the way we live because our enemy would love to set us up to destroy us because the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy and you're not exempt from that, right? This is why we've got to be careful not to participate in this kind of thing because we may be taking the role of David's enemy and I don't want to be David's enemy because he's the one the Lord has chosen. I don't want to get on that side of things. Which is the same thing we need to remember about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to get on the wrong side of this thing. Because God hates false accusations. And those who bear false witness will not go unpunished. And the truth will come out. We need to stand for truth. We need to be the kind of people that are discerning and wise and careful. But we also need to be loving and we need to be merciful because the Bible says that we reap what we sow. May the Lord help us to reap good things, I mean, sow spiritual things so that we can reap good things and be on the right side of this. And may it never be said of us that we bore false witness against our neighbor, against a family member, against a friend, against a co-worker, even against our leaders and politicians, against people in the church or anything like that. It's a dangerous thing for us to do so. Would you pray with me? Okay. Lord, as we think about David, we can kind of identify with him to some degree, and he could certainly identify with us.
And Lord, we all recognize it's a horrible thing when somebody spreads an untruth about us. Help us to be careful, not even to do it casually or innocently or in an unguarded moment. Because no matter what the motive, no matter how it happens, it's still sinful. It's still wrong. And help us to be the kind of people that speak the truth. And we speak the truth and we do it in love. And we do it in a way that glorifies you. Help us to be the kind of people that we're not just two-faced. Saying the things people want to hear to their face and then clobbering them from behind their back. We don't want to be that kind of a person. And we see the pain that it caused David. And sometimes we forget that's the same pain it causes people today. And we forget that other people suffer the same pain that we do. We hated it. We were hurt. We were wounded when others did it toward us. And yet we return the favor. We need to be bigger than that, better than that as the people of God. Help us to remember when people speak evil against us that we're told by our Lord that that's a good thing for us, that we really woe unto us when men speak well of us. And so help us to remember that. And while we walk through this world, may we focus our eyes upon you and desire, as we sang earlier, a closer walk with you and let none of this other junk get in the way and forgive us where we have done that and correct us and teach us and may we be blessed of you and blessed in our relationships in all of them for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.